0: I kind of reflect not so much on the sermon as much as I do on you all. And I just ask that the Lord would bring himself to you in a very rich way through his word and that God would then wrap his arms around you from his word and then take you back to glory in your mind and really love him with all of your heart, soul and mind. I don't know. We have some young folks that are here and uh, maybe you have not heard the term bucket list before. Do you know what a bucket list is? A bucket list is referred to as a list of things you want to do before you do what? Kick the bucket, all right? Something you want to do before you die. Well, you know, as you get older, people start beginning to think, what would I like to have on my bucket list? Things I'd like to see or do before I die. And so they make that list. And some of those uh, things that find their way on that list can be what are known as the seven wonders of the world. A wonder of the world is something that it was built by man at a time that you wonder how they ever did it with the engineering knowledge they had then and the labor that they had and the equipment that they had, and they did it in a time that we can't even hardly figure out how they did it, and that has become a wonder of the world. And so they say on their bucket list, I'd like to go see one of those wonders of the world. Now, the question might be, what are the seven wonders of the world? Now, that's where you get into a little bit deeper weeds, because different people have different lists. If you Google this thing, you have the ancient wonders of the world, and then you have more current wonders of the world as they begin to find new things. And I'm saying all that for this. There are people that want to go see that. How would you like to be one of the people on planet Earth that you could actually really, authentically, genuinely, legally own one of those seven wonders of the world. Can you imagine people from all over the world in different time coming to see that which you own as one of the wonders of the world and that you can make whatever profit off it you want? You own it. And then let's now add number two, number three, number four, number five, all the way up to the seven wonders that you would own all of those wonders and then any new wonders of the world that they're discovering in our lifetime. So now you own every wonder of the world and let's just throw in this thing. Let's just say you own the whole world. Can you imagine what that would be like and yet lose your own soul? Well, today I want to talk about the seven blessings of highly elected people. These blessings are worth far more. They are immeasurable in the amount that we can calculate of blessings and their worth compared to any of the wonders of the world. And God says, by his riches grace... By his kind intentions, he says, I'm going to give you these seven blessings because you have trusted Christ as your Savior. You are one of those highly elected people that get those seven blessings. Now, let me just swiftly go into this. The passage we're going to look at, we're extrapolating seven of those blessings. But I don't want to reduce it to just those seven. We can go from Genesis to Revelation and all the blessings that God says, I own it all. And I'm giving those to you if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, we are in Ephesians chapter 1. That basically means that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted to write truths to a group of people who lived in Ephesus who were believers. Thus, it's referred to as the church at Ephesus. But by extension, those truths that he wanted them to know, he wants us to know. And these truths are not just, oh, I don't know, existential truths out there. These are real truths of ownership, of blessings that you and I have. Now, I've heard one person say that if you can't get excited about the blessings of God from chapter 1 of Ephesians, then you probably can't get excited about any other part of Scripture because they are so very, very rich. Some of you might be asking, why are we spending a little bit more time in these blessings? And I want to assure you, we could spend a lot more time. But I believe we're going to give you what we call the mountain peaks of the Himalaya mountains. We're going to give you the seven, and we're going to touch on them so that you'll know what they are. But why are we doing that? Well, one main reason is this. I believe the most accurate way that you could know God to worship him is going to be found in you accurately knowing God's word because you will not have revealed to you who God is most clearly other than the word of God. So I want to teach you the Bible verse by verse by verse so that you will know it. Another reason we spend the time in God's Word and going over it the way that we do is we know that apart from God's Word, there is no way that we're going to grow up in Christ as a Christian. We can grow old in Christ as a Christian, but not grow up in Christ as a Christian if we don't know His Word and apply it to our life. And then one other truth that is very important is we could be learning these truths, but if we have people who are teaching us false teaching from false teachers, then it's going to kind of muddy up this thing. It's going, to grow, it's going to throw sand in the gears of what we're learning. And now we have an imbalance or a dysfunctional view of God, a dysfunctional view of Scripture. And, of course, then we're not growing spiritually. And whatever we're growing is becoming A dysfunctional life. So we want to know this. Now, with all of that being said now, that means that all that we do here at this church and our outreach, whether it's the pulpit ministry or our ESL movement or what we're doing with the young people, all the ministries that we have, is we want those who do not know Christ as Savior to become a person who has placed their faith alone in Christ so they now can understand all these wonderful blessings that God has for them. So if you come in here today and you feel like, man, this last week I have been really beat up. I've lost a deal. I've had issues with relationships. I've got problems with my health. I don't have a magic wand to take all that away. But I can do this. I can give you something from Scripture that is far more important than it, far more valuable than that. In fact, what you're going to learn will get your mind straight that you can enjoy the peace of God, rejoice in Him no matter what happens on this earth because you have something so much more. Well, you know, in this passage of Scripture, I like to use the term that as a believer in Christ, that we have been signed, sealed, and delivered. Have you ever heard those terms before? We've been signed, sealed, and delivered. What do I mean by that? Well, we have been signed by the adoption papers written by God. In other words, I've been adopted into God's family, and He signed those papers. When we adopted our boys, I can remember that very special day, when we stood before the judge, and he signed those papers, and those kids... Who were in one world now became our world, and really our world. Where are those kids? And a joy to see how they're growing in the Lord. Now, that being said, I want you to know that when you trusted Christ as Savior, you might still have the same rotten family here, but I promise you that you have a, a wonderful, great family in the body of Christ because we're all found in Christ. We are His child. Listen very carefully. When we didn't know Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. When we trusted Christ as Savior, we were made alive in Christ. We were in the kingdom of darkness before we trusted Christ. But once we were adopted, we were put into the kingdom of light. We were in the kingdom of death. Now we're in the kingdom of life. We're in the kingdom of hatred. And now we're in the kingdom of love. And it's all because of God, what he has chosen to do for you and me. So if you know Christ as Savior, no matter what you're going through right now, get this. You have God as your father, because he has adopted you into his forever family. And then it says that we were sealed. Well, we don't know what that means. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And what that basically means is that he has now taken us, brought us into his forever family, but now we can never be adopted out of that family. We are stuck in that family. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's no better family to be stuck with than to have God as your father and have us as brothers and sisters in Christ because of what Christ has done. And then we talk about, The delivered part. And that's where Christ comes in. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We're delivered, in a sense, from the power of sin and what it can do in our life. And in the future, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. So because of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we've been signed, sealed, and delivered because we trusted Christ as Savior. Now, those of you that are on the outside of faith and you're looking into faith right now and you're seeing all these Christians, I want you to know that we're not walking around with a big puffed up pride for, look what we got and what you don't have. It is true. This is what we have and this is what you don't have. But we very humbly realize that we don't deserve any of this. It's by the riches of his grace that he gave it to us. We also realize where we were before we came into his forever family, signed, sealed, and delivered. And we'll never forget that. And it's because of that that what we do is we want you to experience what we've experienced in Christ. So all that we do, all that we preach, where we spend our money, is to help you to become a person who has placed your faith alone in Christ and gone on to become a fully obedient worshiper of the Lord. Well, now let's go over not the seven wonders of the world, but at least the seven blessings for highly elected people in this passage. So as a review, because we've covered a couple of them already, number one was that we've been chosen to be holy and blameless in Him. So in other words, it wasn't so much that God had us come to faith alone in Christ and then we just stopped right there. We didn't just get eternal fire insurance, that once we trusted Christ as Savior, He wants us now to live a life that would be holy and blameless. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean now we have the power to do that. And that's the direction we're going to go in. On the other hand, when we trusted Christ as Savior, we are in Christ, which means he already sees us as holy and blameless. Now he wants us to live out in our practical state what that is. Second blessing is that God has adopted us into his forever family. I've spoken to that just a moment ago. So that means we have God as our father. Now think about that for a moment. Maybe you raised reared in a home that uh, your dad wasn't a very good dad. He neglected you. He rejected you. He abandoned you. uh, Might have done even worse to you. And I'm so sorry for that if it brought up some pain. I really mean that. And maybe in your mind you were thinking, boy, I would sure love to be in so-and-so's family. Billy's got a good dad. You know, Sally's got a good dad. I don't have a good dad. Well, I want you to know even the best dad in here, and I know you're striving to be a good dad. We'll never have a better dad than our heavenly father a very benevolent father, a father who is so righteous and so wise that he knows how to properly discipline us in love so that then we could experience the day-to-day blessings that he has for us. We're adopted into his, here it is, here it is, forever family. Well, now I want to give you, we've given you two, we're going to give you the last five today of the blessings of highly elected people. Let me give you blessing number three. I am redeemed and forgiven. Let me read to you the verse here found in verse seven. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes on us in all wisdom and insight. Well, there are two key words I want you to see as we begin this. It's the word redeemed and the word forgiven. Now, some of you that are new to the faith, you might be hearing the word redeem. That's a word we don't use very often. When we were kids, we would hear the word redemption stamps. We would go shopping. We'd get these little stamps or attached to various products that we would buy. We would take them off. We would lick them or put them in a stamp book, and then we would take it into a store, and we would give them our little book full of stamps, and then they would give us whatever was in the shelf that was in that store that we could buy with a redemption stamp. Well, that's not too far away because what we're doing when we're going to store, we are setting free what's on those shelves for ourselves. Now, look at this for a moment. As an illustration, Carol and I on our way into church today, we realized that there probably wasn't enough goodies for some of you that like to get some donuts and stuff like that. So we thought, boy, our people are really going to need something with their coffee this morning. So we whipped into Winn-Dixie. They were open and we set free donuts for you this morning. And so you had those donuts. We took them off the shelf. And I will tell you this. Those donuts were useless until they were officially redeemed. And that's really what the word redemption means. It means to purchase and to set free. And as an object lesson, I want you to know that that's what we're doing. In your mind, can you do this for just a moment? Just go into your mind for a moment. Pretend that you lived, whether it was 150 years ago or 2,000 years ago, and pretend for just a moment that you were a slave. And you were a slave upon a block here, and you were chained. And you knew as a slave that you could not do anything in your life that you had a choice to do except to obey or not obey. If you did not obey, you generally were beaten, set out, killed, whatever, because you didn't obey. So in a sense, you would obey. And when you obeyed, you had no choice. What time you woke up, what time you went to bed, what you would eat, what you would not eat, what you would do, how long you would do this, where you would work, what you wouldn't do. You were a slave. You you really didn't even have a mind for yourself. You were a slave here. But this is a little worse slave block. This was a slave slave block now that they're getting ready to put you to death. And you knew that you could die. So the auctioneer looks at you and says, you want to be free, Stan? I'll set you free. But to set you free, (laughs) I'll kill you. And yeah, I'll be free from all the chains, but I'll be dead. But while he's having an interaction and there's the buzz of the crowd, someone in the back walks up to the front and says, excuse me, Mr. Auctioneer, what I'd like to do is I'd like to set stand free. And the auctioneer looks at him and says, you know, sir, in order to do that, uh, there's no money. You can't, there's no money to pay for him. So for me to let him go, someone's got to die. And this guy says, I'm willing to do that for him. Well, that someone was really the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have been redeemed. Now watch this. We weren't redeemed so that we can go and continue doing whatever else we were doing. Certainly we're not redeemed to stay in slavery, in bondage. We're certainly not just set free so we can diddly-bop through life doing whatever we want. We're set free for a purpose that's a lot higher than that. Those shackles of sin and burdens and all the habits and hurts and hang-ups that we've had in our life that's been broken because we've been redeemed by Christ gives us now. here Here it is. We are now free from sin, given the choice... To serve Him. And it shouldn't even be a command, although it is. It should be more like, Thank you, thank you for dying for me, sir, so I could be free. What can I do for you and your family? And so now I turn it not from being obedient because I have to be it. I'm being obedient because I want to do it as a way to say thank you for what it cost you so that I could be free. That's redemption. Now let me tell you, if you trusted Christ as Savior, one of your blessings is that you have been set free. Rejoice in that. There's another word in this passage that I like. It's the word forgiveness. It's so, notice it says you've been redeemed and forgiven. And the word forgiven is another kind of a neat word. If I could put it in contemporary millennial language, I would say you get a do-over. You get a do-over with your life. You did something wrong, you get a do-over. The problem with that is that it's far more than you get a do-over. What it really says is you are born in sin with a sin nature. And because you had the sin nature, now you're going to do sinful deeds by choice because it's driven by that sin nature. So you really are in a bad way. So it's more than just getting a do-over. You now have given to you by God in that blessing the power now to live a life of victory. Well, let's go back to the word forgiven. If uh, When Paul was writing this to the people at Ephesus, yeah, there were Gentiles there, we know that. But salt and peppered in the church were a bunch of Jewish people. And a lot of the Jews, even though many of them were just rebelling against the Lord, they had some underpinning of truth. And they knew that in the Old Testament that the priest would make a sacrifice. And when he did, he would have bring two lambs up, he would kill the one lamb, and then he would take the blood from that lamb and he would sprinkle it on the top of this lamb or goat, and then set it out. And he would release it. Kind of like it's gone. So when you trusted Christ as Savior, you've been taken out of the slave market of sin. That's true. But now you've also been totally 100% forgiven. And in a sense, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, now we are set free. Now the question is, that blood on him was kind of representative of the sin. Now it's taken away. In Psalm 103, it answers the question, okay, how many of my sins were taken away? And how far away were my sins taken? It says that our sins were taken so far away as the east is from the west. Now think with me for a moment, you engineers. How far as the east is from the west? And now you can have debate. How far go around the world? Do you go around this way, but just keep moving. Is it this way? I don't really care. The idea is it's taken so far away that it'll never come back to you. So in other words, that penalty for what you have done was satisfied by Christ on the cross, you don't have to pay that penalty any longer of death. You have been set free. Your sins are now gone, and you now have a new life in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, what greater blessing is that? Now, pause for a moment. All of that was done by Jesus Christ. None of that was done by you and me. That's a blessing. That's a blessing that we have, and it's a rich blessing. But now the question is, is if it um, it was given to me, then... What did it cost? Well, obviously in the passage, you know it's talking about blood there, isn't it? We'll talk about that in a moment. But what did it cost? Think about it. You know, for us to be redeemed and forgiven, you just don't get those things free. Somebody had to pay for it. They no free lunch. And he says, no, you don't have to pay for it, Stan. You don't have to. If you don't let me pay for it, then you will have to. So then he said, I'll tell you who did it. Jesus Christ paid for it. That's the cost of this gift. And I had hoped that we would just for a moment appreciate the cost of this gift. And I speak that to a crowd here that is so theologically adept that you you know these truths, you can write them all down, you probably can preach this message, but we get so disengaged from emotionally attaching ourselves with a heart to say, I love you, Lord. Look what you did for me. And meditate on the cost. Think about the blood for a moment. I'm going to say some things that might be... Um, You listen to everything so you don't get a sound bite. I don't think the liquid blood of Jesus was anything magical or mystical. So I don't want to elevate it to some kind of mystical human juice. All right? I do believe it was efficacious. I do believe that if he was perfect, he lived perfectly. I believe his body was perfect. So I don't think there was, like, disease in his blood. He didn't have leukemia. So his blood was there. But I don't want to remove the blood from the whole issue of that wonderful blessing. Why can't I remove the blood from it? Well, first of all, Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no payment for sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. So blood fits in. If I keep it consistent with Scripture, theologically, systematic theology, you have the Old Testament animals that were slain. And when they were slain, blood was now, when they were slain, it wasn't like they had a little prick when you kind of put a needle in someone when you're taking some maybe a, a diabetic uh, test or something. No, here it is. Here it is. They were butchered. Think about it for a moment when they were doing mass sacrifices. How much blood must have poured off the altar, down the little crevice and into the street? and out? I mean, there was just loads of blood. It was a butcher shop. Now, take that to the New Testament. I want you to think, and young people, I, I want you to know I love you. It's going to be a little stingy right now. I apologize, but I need to wake you up with this. And if you do any video games and you watch TV, you'll be all right. Jesus was butchered on the cross. Jesus was butchered on the cross. It was the shedding of that blood. He didn't die of a cold, a heart attack. He didn't fall asleep and not wake up. He died a horrible, butchered life. And so when I think I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed by the what? What? Blood of the lamb, I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We sing that song and cheerfully and celebrate it. And that's great. I want to continue doing that. But I don't want to bypass what it costs God, the death of his only son. Blood in scriptures are mentioned 400 times. Faith is only mentioned 270 times. I think if I take blood out of the gospel, it's like having a dictionary with words but no definition. It's like having a puzzle but with no solution. So the blood is very important. Whether or not I say the blood in the gospel message is not as critical as much as I don't deny the blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. It cost us a great deal. But there's also something else, and that's the appreciation of the character of it. Go back to the passage. I want you to look at verse 7 again. Look at this little section of verse 7. It is so cool. He did all of that, and then it says, why he did it? He said, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Now, I don't know what translation you have. This translation says it pretty good, so I like it. If you have a Bible that you can mark with electronically or on your lap, I want you to circle two words in there, the word riches, and I want you to circle the word lavished. Riches and lavish. Now, I want you to know those are nice characteristic words that characterize grace, but I don't want to get away from grace. It's characterizing grace. All right, so let's go back to grace now. So what is grace? Grace is getting something I don't deserve, which is heaven. Mercy is not getting something I deserve, which is hell. So God says, I get heaven. Grace is getting something that I don't deserve, heaven. And mercy is not getting something I do deserve, which is hell. This is talking about grace. It's from the positive perspective of it. But when it says here, According to his grace, it says, according to the riches of his grace. Let me give some of you some fun things to do this afternoon on your quiet time. Find the phrase riches of his grace or something very comparable to that that term and do a word search on that and see how much that's found in Scripture and then read the context and just let it kind of bathe you on his grace, the riches of his grace. I love that. But the next phrase is a phrase we don't use very much, lavished. Now in some it says exceeding or whatever. But I like the word lavish. I love that word lavish. Even though we don't use it very much. In the Greek it means to superabound. It means to excel. It means to exceed. So in other words, the riches of his grace, all those riches, not just the riches of his grace is like poured all over us right here. And that's what gave us the redemption, the forgiveness. And by the way, I think this is the heartbeat of all seven of these different uh, uh, blessings of highly elected people. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I don't know if you can see this in the back, and I know you can on on our media here, but I'm holding up a can of soda here, does Kind it It's a soda can here, and it's pretty full, all right? I'm going to just for a moment let this soda and this can represent God's grace for just a moment. We know that God gave us grace, but it's so quick, God gave us grace. It's like me saying to you, um, I'm giving you grace. I'm bringing it to you. Or I'm providing it for you. It's available if you want it. I'm providing it. If you want to come on and get it. Uh, we, we treat grace like that. Yeah, God gives it to us. I'm going to go get it. That's not what the verse says. The verse says it lavishes. And in the Greek, again, it's not just abound, it's super abound, it exceeds. It's like taking this grace right now, and he really kind of empowers us. Okay, for a moment. And then we receive this grace. Where's Carol? <laughs> and then I pop this lid. Okay? And it's like we just get saturated with this soda. We get saturated. With God's grace. And so when I look at all of this, it's just like, that's why I don't deserve any of this stuff, because His grace was poured upon you. Now, anybody want to open this later, do it at your own risk, okay? Back to this. I'm not trying to make light out of this here, but I want you to know how, how absolutely essential that all these blessings come to us to people who do not deserve it, and it's the riches of that grace that's lavished upon us. Now watch a little bit further. It says, in all wisdom and insight. Now that is cool too because wisdom is kind of like everything that I want to know about God, it's wise. Watch this, not just head knowledge, it's that wisdom.